Hello and welcome to The Big League Show. As always, I'm Connor Somerville, and today I'm joined by Aiden Silifant and Matthew Choi. Matthew, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Aiden, how are you doing today? Figured I'd switch it up a little bit. I'm doing ecstatic today. Considering the Leafs won yesterday, I'm in a good mood today, and I'm excited to finally talk some hardcore NHL today. Yeah, it feels good to be back after four months having absolutely nothing uh, and training camp for two weeks, which yeah, nobody could really watch. Um, but let's just sort of dive into Matt and sort of his entire story in sport media. Um, let's start at the very beginning and sort of get into why, like what in your childhood do you think really influenced you into choosing sport media to be your industry for the future? Well, I mean, since I was a child, I, I, sports has always been a big part of my life. Uh, I remember when I first actually got into sports, it was, I think I was only four years old. It was actually Leafs versus Flyers playoff series, the semifinals. And at the time it was when I was just first like learning about what hockey was. And the only two teams I knew were Tom Maple Leafs and the Flyers Flyers. And that game, the series ends with Jamie Roenick scoring at Adult Four and like the Flyers advancing the series and I remember like I was watching that game with my brother and my brother was a huge Leafs fan like enormous Leafs fan and like during that time we also like, always like we'd always play like NHL 02 on the PlayStation and like he'd always be a Leafs and then, since the only time I knew then it was the Flyers I was kind of out of spite choose the Flyers because I knew he hated nice. them and then as I grew older I kind of started to learn more about the Flyers kind of watch the team kind of excited the players and I became huge Flyers fan and I started to excite more hockey eventually I started branching out to other sports like NBA and NFL and this became a huge sports fan and nice that's sick that's cool yeah. how like one team really kind of like influenced your decision I don't think I don't think we've seen that from other kids in our program it's mostly been like they played a sport growing up or they had like a, a parent or someone in the industry that kind of led them but it's cool that like from a young age, I guess two years old, if you were playing NHL 02, you started liking the Flyers and that kind of just took off. So um, what exactly about the Flyers, I guess, stood out to you so much and I guess like influenced you to to watch them and watch hockey? I mean, it was the first game I ever watched and like, it was the first team I actually ever saw win. And as a young, in a young age, that kind of like influenced me a lot. And I grew up watching players like Simon Gagne. He was like one of my favorite players growing up. And then like, as I got older, we see we draft Claude Giroux, who is currently like my favorite player. And we see players like Danny Breer and Mike Richards and Jeff Carter come in. And like overall, it's just a team that I've kind of just grew up watching. Hmm. Let's sort of dive into your high school experience then, because obviously you started with the Flyers, then you sort of, as you mentioned, transitioned to other sports. What sort of pinned you down to being interested in the sport media program and where did when did you sort of find out about it i definitely found out about it like in grade 12 when i was starting to look into universities and the thing is i've always wanted to kind of have a job involved in sports because like i love watching i love playing sports as well but like i knew at a young age like growing up to be an athlete wasn't really a realistic goal i knew that wasn't really going to be something I could do in the future so I was actually uh, starting to go into engineering in grade 12. I was like taking a lot of classes for that, but halfway through grade 12, like near the end of the first semester, I realized like I really 
didn't want to. And I remember going to the university fair and actually hearing about this program. So I thought, okay, I'll you leave like engineering as a backup, but I'll kind of like revert my attention to sport media and try to focus on that stuff. Cause I didn't feel like I'm not going to be really trying as hard for something that's actually harder. Might as well do something that's like something I'll enjoy more. So I kind of just chose sport media and here I am. What was that application process like then? For sport media? Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Like the like just sort of getting all the stuff done, you know, finding the your references. Um, what was the whole interview process like? Everything along those lines. Oh, I see. Well, like for me, I took a lot of classes in high school that were media related. And then I also like, I had a pretty good relationship with my English teacher as well, because I had for several years, because my school is pretty small. So you kind of just knew your teachers pretty well. So I was able to ask my teachers for reference. And like, yeah, and since I was taking also like a lot of engineering classes as well and science classes, like I was able to use my marks there to also kind of like boost my average and help me to get into the program. And yeah, so I just, I did the typical applications that I think everyone got, like the essay questions. And then I got, I think it was around March when I got the interview. Mm-hmm. You know, it was during March break, I remember. I had to, I believe the question I got for the application at Ryerson was write about a sport movie and like why that's like should influence. And like how does that like relate to like sports as a whole. And I think I wrote it on, I forgot what movie I wrote on. I think I wrote it on Creed, I think, because I thought I wanted to write about how Creed, sports, like, okay. they tell a story and how, like, in sports, a good story that everyone cares about is legacy and how important that is to game sports, no matter what sport it is. And then, yeah, the guy kind of just asked me questions about that. And since I, what I want to do in sport media is kind of tell stories through sports, that's kind of just what it's based on. So who is your interviewer? We always like to hear about this. I actually have no idea. I have not seen him at Ryerson since. Oh, oh that's, yeah. we haven't had that yet. Interesting. I, I have huh. not seen my interviewer since. It's really strange. It's, I've actually been looking around. I'm thinking, I wonder where this like profit is, but like, I haven't seen him. May, oh, it's, it's a guy? It was a guy? It's a guy. Hmm. I assume that maybe, I remember him saying he was a third or fourth year prof. So I'm thinking maybe I'll see him like, the next in the coming years, but maybe I haven't seen school yet. I forgot his name. So, so how 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 was that interview with him? Um, do you think? I guess coming out of the interview, did you think that you did well, or were you kind of up in the air about it? I mean, I never really come out with anything, just expecting me to like. Oh, I think I did well, I and mean, I'm always on like doubting. Like, okay, I think I said something smart there, but I think I may have said something wrong there. <laughs> but like, I think something that gave me a little comfort was he noted how I was different from our people he interviewed because I think most people he interviewed up to that point was talking about how they wanted to be on air but I was kind of talking more about how he wants to do behind the scenes like work with cameras uh, do writing and like all that so I think that kind of like got his attention so I was hoping that would influence him to respect me huh that's interesting I think you are the first person we've had that doesn't necessarily want to be on air except for maybe Daniel Janicus, I don't think he wanted yeah. to be on air coming into it. Um, but that's really interesting. So you applied. When did you find out that you got in? I got in around 
I think it was near the end. It was like I think late May. I think it's actually fine to start that because since I was kind of like last minute changing what I wanted to do like from engineering to media, I had to like drop certain courses and like take others. So like a lot of my first semester classes, I wasn't going to submit. And they actually had to email me saying that my marks up to that point wouldn't actually, like, I don't know who, I forgot who it was, but someone actually emailed me, can you give us your current marks before your midterm? And then we'll put you on the wait list if once your midterms come out. And so I sent in my marks and then when the midterms came out and like a few weeks later, they sent me that, they said I was accepted. Okay. Huh. That's the first time I've heard that as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. <laughs> so obviously sport media was your first, but your backup was engineering. Did that sort of influence you at all in terms of your application process? The fact that you did have a backup? I mean, a part of me was like, I mean, engineering, it's not an easy program to get into either. Yeah. It's far from an easy thing. So I was also kind of considering, I would might not even get into engineering either. So I might as well, like, I was kind of thinking, even though it is my backup, I'm putting way more attention into sport media one. And at a certain point, like, I think it was during that second semester of grade 12, I didn't even do the engineering interview because I was thinking, okay, at this point, I don't think I'm going to get into engineering regardless. I'm going to kind of just, like, I have the marks for some of the classes, but I didn't, I dropped the other ones I needed at that point. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus fully on sport media. And yeah. So you went all eggs in one basket. And if it didn't work out, you were in trouble? I mean, like, I had, like, you know, you get, you get like, three or four, like, applications to submit. I had yeah. another one yeah. for, like, I think it was, like, a journalism course at Ryerson. Okay. So okay. I had, like, other, like, other backups in place. But those ones weren't as, like, heavy interview process or heavy application process. They're more just, like, you submit the application and, like, they tell you if you're in that. Yeah, okay. I applied to journalism as well. Um, and I had a ton of backups, which... If you want to have backups, that's always a good thing. Uh, yeah. I'm never going to say don't have backups because they can be helpful mm -hmm. uh, if you don't yeah. get in your program of choice. Especially a that's program like Sport Media where the acceptance yeah. rate is so low. You, you want to have the backups. I think I had yeah. maybe five other backups because I, I did Sport Media and Media Production that I applied for. And then after that, I think I had like another five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had like 10. Uh, Jeez, because my, okay. well my mom wanted me to apply to as many programs as possible I, I know one kid in my high school had over 30 so what yeah because <laughs> no his parents just... just wanted him to apply to like so many schools and like he was very indecisive as well um honestly wow. like i don't i can't really speak for him on that but yeah yeah 30 is a bit much it is um, a, it is because yeah. considering it's like 50 bucks after the first mm -hmm. three Apply, I think it might have been even more than 30, to be honest. It's a, it was a lot. Wow. Yeah, I applied to like 15 total uh, and didn't get into like three of them, which shocked me. Um, mm. But enough about us. Let's dive into Matt a little bit more. Um, what has been your sort of favorite part of being at Ryerson? I think it's two things in particular i think like one thing is the rest of the community i think since like our program isn't like a necessarily large program i think being able to work with other people and like kind of collaborate it gives like good real life experience for the future when you need to work and also the fact that ryerson is so hands-on with like our program like we have all the studio equipment all the like lab equipment you can use i think that really helps us like to really plan what we actually want to do in the future 
Yeah. So what has been like a standout <laughs> course, I guess, that is that you've really enjoyed so far? Me personally, I really like the journalism course, especially since like coming into a program like sport journalism was like something I wanted to go into. Mm-hmm. I think like doing that game story, like when we actually go to a game and then we have to like mm-hmm. ask the players questions afterwards. I think like that was a lot of fun because I was doing that. And I was thinking, okay, I could see myself doing this in the future and like wanting to do this. And but I also think like doing the labs for stand-up because I didn't think much about like multi-cam labs before trying to program. I wasn't thinking about something going into, but working in the studio and like kind of like working my hands on the studio was like I was, I enjoyed it. So I could always the great thing about Ryerson is like I come in thinking one thing and then they kinda of open other doors for me to think about. Yeah, and that's something I I've lived through uh, coming in wanting to sort of get into TV and now I like radio and podcasting way more. Uh, I can't, I can't even stand TV at this point. Um, not saying I won't do TV in the future if you're an employer, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's Ryerson really does provide you, especially the sport media program, an opportunity to look at different areas in the industry and different uh, chances that you can have. And, the amount of different opportunities they give you outside of school, whether it be Spirit Live, whether it be um, the newspaper, the eye opener, um, whether it be doing Rams Live, all of that has been incredibly helpful in terms of developing us as media professionals. And I want to know a bit more about that with you. What has your experience been with sort of the extracurriculars at Ryerson? I've done Rams Live and like, I think twice I've done it. And like, I've like done, cam- both times I've done the camera work for it. It gets kind of painful, kind of just when you're doing the cameras that the corners to do the, are kind of falling on your shoulder. You have to do the handheld, handheld. one. Yeah. It gets kind of painful, but I mean, it's kind of fun because you're right there in the game, like filming it. You're right in front of the, the whole action, and that's just kind of a lot of fun to do. I've also done Spare Live, and I've, I'm like, I'm doing a show with Evan, like in a program, and we're doing a show called Five Five Sports. And like, we've done like that for past semester, and that's also been a lot of fun, and it's kind of Give me more experience kind of talking on air, especially since before this program, I didn't think I'll ever do anything that was actually involved talking in front of like on camera or on the mic. So like it was kind of it was a good experience for me. I enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah. And you guys are still doing that now, right? You're keeping it going yeah. throughout the summer. So yeah, I think I watched um, your uh, game one reaction video. Yeah. Evan, Evan kind of went in on them a little bit, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll plug, we'll plug that in the description. Yeah. And yeah. if, you don't know who Evan is. He's we had him on the show. Yes, I think like second episode we did. Yeah, I think guests. Right. Um, so now we've got both members of the Five Five Sports come on. Um, <laughs> what has that experience been like in terms of doing the Spirit Live show for you? For me, it's been like, well, like like I said before, getting experience like kind of like talking and like kind of like doing stuff that are on air, and like it's also like helps me kind of like organize and like schedule like the idea of like creating a show and like creating a format of like oh we need to talk about this a certain day and kind of like kind of help me be more organized with how we like structure a show yeah i agree with yeah, that. It's, yeah it's good experience uh which one of you board operated oh uh, we need of us actually uh we have a like me and evan we came from the same high school and like okay. we came to a program like together and another of our friends, our friends in high school, is actually me production right now, and okay. she uh, she enjoyed operating the board, so we asked her to help us out with that, and she's technically part of the show as well. As oh, a boss. Right, she doesn't okay. ever want to talk, 
during the show, but like we allow, we say we should, but she says she's just fine with just operating the board. That's great. I think that needs to become a bit in the future where you constantly try to get her to talk uh, Sports, yeah. and make her very uncomfortable because I think that might be very funny. That would be fun. Um, huh, that's interesting. So you have the experience doing Spirit Live. You have the experience doing Rams Live. Have you done anything outside of Ryerson, not affiliated with it in terms of stuff in the industry? I mean, not necessarily. I mean, the podcast I'm doing right now isn't really associated with Ryerson because it's going straight to YouTube and stuff. Because like, right. obviously we don't have access to yeah. the studio Spare Live. Yeah. And yeah, I'm actually, if anything, in high school, like some friends and I, we kind of started like a production company for like films, creative kind of short films and stuff like that. And like we've done that in high school and we kind of like, even after high school, we kept on continuing with a bit. And like we kind of helped me with camera work and kind of like, like a single cam work that kind of helped me gain more experience with that. And that's been a lot of fun too. So that's like probably the biggest thing outside of Ryerson that I've done. Hmm. So okay. is that so... <clears throat> sorry yeah. go ahead is that Maybe. is that something like like you talk about like short films and stuff is yeah. that something that that you're you're still very passionate about or something that maybe you could see yourself getting into one day and in, in the future potentially yeah definitely um ideally actually for me personally i kind of like i said when i, when I first came into program was idea was going to journalism but one of the biggest things that i took away from ryerson was the idea of going to feature making or sport document making and like kind of I always like to use those skills I've like developed like in high school to kind of continue on in the future and kind of create stories in the format of documentaries. Like if you've seen this past summer, like The Last Dance, it was like <laughs> great great documentary and like the filmmaking of it was incredible. And then the idea of being able to make something like that always appealed to me. So what was that experience like for you then? In terms of like filmmaking? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about it is, like, I've worked with people I was close to in high school, and just kind of, like, working together at the camaraderie of it, it's always, like, it's always fun, it's always, like, easy to enjoy, but it's also, like, you get to learn how to kind of make mistakes, you get to learn how to make mistakes and, like, develop skills in certain areas. Let's say you're you're directing, you need to learn the skills to direct people and to kind of work with people in that area. So where can people find those short uh, <laughs> films? Um, we actually have a YouTube channel called uh, Wild Wild Productions. Okay. okay. So we'll plug that in the description as well, probably, uh, if we remember to do that, hopefully. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, apart from that, have you done any sort of like writing work or anything like that? No, not necessarily, no. I, I, most stuff I've done was for Ryerson. I haven't really okay. gotten a chance to like reach out to like outside person i've been kind of looking into it but like obviously with this whole like covid and the shutdown it was hard to like find opportunities for it i think um, uh, still looking. i think going back to like the uh the short filmmaking and like i can kind of relate to that because like i still have some friends from from high school that we still make like short videos with and stuff and i think the one takeaway for me at least is just that like it's just fun being able to create whatever you want i guess it's essentially and i guess matt can can relate to that yeah you you can really just come up with a random idea and make it into like a a short film or like a five minute movie and uh 
yeah, that's really cool how you're, you're not just limiting to sports, but you're also just like going more into like the film side. And if you want to collab those at some point, then you might have an advantage over other people. So that's really yeah. good that you're doing that. All right. Well, we'll plug all of his stuff down in the description below. I think you should look into writing for fansided because I think you'd really like that. Um, Philadelphia Flyers fansided. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard about it and I think I'll actually. I'll Wait, well, I, I remember um, we had a conversation during the year, like you were looking at applying for something in Philly, right? Yeah. Something like that. I, I actually did my entire application for that. A week before okay. it was a due date of submission. The job posting disappeared. I assume because of the whole COVID. Oh man, yeah. that's unfortunate. That sucks. Well, so I don't know if I would have gone there or not, but like, yeah. I guess I wouldn't bad, know now. Like, bad timing, but maybe in the yeah. future. Yeah. 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 I think I think you should go into fan sided. Uh, I know people have had stuff featured on Bleacher Report before. Uh, my latest article did, and oh, nice. you do get yes. paid for it. Um, thank you. I even though it's like on a U.S. soccer section, but whatever um i think rain has also had stuff featured on bleacher report i'm sure there's other people in our program i know kyle and eric Eric, uh both write for the leaf section of it and i think daniel might do some stuff for them as well so you have that sort of group you can talk to if you are interested in it uh and that goes to anybody who might be watching this whether you're a future student a current student a past student who just wants to get some writing experience apply to fansided they're always looking for writers and recently they were taken over by a minute. Uh, I think it was minute media, something like that. Um, so new opportunity there. Uh, hmm. There might be some changes within the company, but I'd recommend applying. I think you'd really enjoy it and you get a lot of good experience and there aren't really very many restrictions on you, what you can write about. Um, when you are in a site, if you're talking about the flyers, all you have to do is write something about the flyers and it's really, really good experience. Um, but with that, I think we'll take our little half second break and then dive into everything else that is happening in the sports world because they're back and it feels, and it feels so bad. good. To- All right. Now let's dive into live sport because that's what's most important this week, this episode, even though we're not actually starting with live sport, we are starting instead with the Toronto Wolfpack situation. If you haven't been following what's happened, uh, the Super League, which is the league that the Wolfpack are a part of, are restarting, but only in the UK. And right now, it isn't feasible financially for the Toronto Wolfpack to be able to do that. So they pulled out of the season. But what that means is that I can't remember the exact name of it, um, but an agreement that they signed with Super League in order to be allowed to play in the league and to take part in games was torn up. And that's a result of them pulling out because they need to honor the fact that they have to go to or honor all of the games. Um, What that now means is David Argyle is going to have to sell the Wolfpack. Now, for those of you who aren't aware of the Wolfpack, David Argyle has basically pumped just a ton of money into them. I think he spent like 30 million into the rugby team, which is just nuts in rugby. Um, And that's in the past like four years, if that. Um, So he's going to have to sell the team. And 
that's big news for rugby league and it's big news for Toronto. Right now, people in conversation about purchasing the Wolfpack are believed to be a U.S. bid, which they think is led by a guy named Ricky Wilby, um, who I think wants to get into the league. He wants to get in the, the Wolfpack. And I believe he wants to keep the team in Toronto. But there is another U.S. bid which might want to keep them there. It's a little confusing about who wants to actually keep the team in Toronto and who wants to pull them. The second bid that is currently there for the Wolfpack is from third tier side, Newcastle Thunderbirds. Uh, That ownership group wants to basically buy the Wolfpack so that they can get the license to move up or fast track their journey to the top league in Europe and top league in France and England and basically the top rugby league league. And yes, it's confusing because it's rugby league and it's the league. Um, So right now, it's in a bit of a limbo. We don't know what's necessarily going to happen. Obviously, these two guys don't follow the Wolfpack. I barely do myself. Um, but this is big news. You know, I had I brought this up with them uh, be- before we started recording. And I, a te- an old teacher of mine used to play for the Wolfpack before they were the Wolfpack. And he was like their player manager uh, or coach. And he knew the owner, uh, which I believe is Argyle. And... He didn't get involved and I got a training session sort of with them. Like he brought the coaches in to do like a little training session with our gym class, which was really cool. So I have a bit of a personal connection, which is why I actually bring up the wolf pack, even though nobody really pays much attention to them. Um, but they're a professional rugby league and they're the first intercontinental, intercontinental league that our team in rugby, which I think is very notable uh, because they're playing obviously in England and in, Canada um, but we don't really know what's going to happen it's still very up in the air we're unsure about whether or not this will even end up with the team staying in Toronto if Newcastle win this bid um, but we will keep you updated hopefully there's news that comes out in the next few days uh, it's supposed to because I believe this takeover has to happen pretty quickly because they've already filed for that same agreement to happen for the 2021 season uh, so that they can play, but we don't really know. And I figured I'd bring that up because that's major news in rugby and in Toronto sports, even if neither of them know what I'm talking about. Now let's talk about something that you actually know what we're talking about in the NFL, because it's been a couple updates around the opt out and everything around that. And basically simple as can be, the update date is now apparently Thursday, which is, as wow. we're recording this tomorrow, there have been a ton of players who have opted out. Um, I think CBS Sports has been keeping a full track for the MLB and the NFL. So we'll get into the MLB in a second. But in terms of the NFL, the biggest news is eight Patriots have opted out. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Um, I think it's one other team we've had like four but that's it. Um, I mean, look at which team that is. The Cleveland Browns have had Cleveland four. Browns, yeah. So what do you guys sort of think of how many players have opted out? I don't blame these guys because honestly, like, just look at baseball. Look at the example 
that's going on right now in the U.S. and teams that are, are trying to travel to different cities and it's just not working out. So I think a lot of these NFL players realize that, you know, it's not going to work um, unless they have some sort of bubble system. And um, I just think, like, the way the NFL is talking isn't very, like, uh, realistic at all, like, even not too long ago. And they still even might be considering – having fans and like sign waivers and wear masks and like that's just it should be out of the question completely I don't know why they'd even be considering that so I don't really blame the players for doing this um yeah it's not it's not too surprising I'm surprised that some teams don't have any players who have opted out maybe you know the I don't know what's going on inside the room, but maybe the management's saying like, no, just trust us. If, if, uh, if we keep everyone together, then hey, we have a better shot over these teams to win. So maybe just stick with us a little bit longer and things are going to get better. But yeah, like Connor mentioned, a team like the New England Patriots where they just, I think um, it was uh, their linebacker, Hightower and Patrick Chung, they've both opted out. And those are two big pieces on their defense that Bill Belichick is going to miss so much so yeah and i guess i'll mention before we let matthew say his little thing uh the teams who haven't had players opt out yet are the buccaneers the chargers uh the falcons um the rams rams steelers and that's it uh so five teams in the nfl haven't had players opt out how does this affect both of your teams uh obviously matt is a ravens fan and uh, Aiden is a Browns, not Browns fan, Lions fan. There we Jeez, go. Jeez, man. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I just fully. I mean, I know they're both. I'm, I mean, I know they're both bad teams, but that's just—it's not even funny anymore. That's that's embarrassing. Well, the Browns are a little bit better than the Lions, but okay. <sighs> okay. I mean, like as a Ravens fan, <laughs> like we have like two players who opt out, and I mean, I think for Ravens, like we. None of our like main players have opted out yet. Like Lamar Jackson has is like he's still saying on social media he's excited to have another chance at the playoffs, to have another chance at season. So I don't see him opting out anytime soon. Of course, I don't blame him if he eventually does because right now the NFL plan doesn't really seem like they even have that much of a plan that will actually work. Like like you guys said, and like, again we can't blame these players for wanting to opt out. I think it will affect a young team like the Ravens pretty negatively it's like each season as a young team counts because you kind of each season has a chance for you to develop more but again it'll be kind of devastating as a fan to not see the Ravens play but at the same time I can't blame them for not wanting to play because again it's not a good plan that they have like again like look at the MLB so when you travel accidents are about to happen cases are about to come up so like yeah you can't blame anyone for how this is happening yeah. Um, and like for, for the Lions, I think they have, um, you know, John Atkins, who's a defensive tackle, who's mostly a bench guy. He's not going to really have a big starting role. But um, I guess the bigger name is Geronimo Allison, who would probably be the Lions fourth or fifth wide receiver. So they have they have quite a bit of depth at wide receiver right now. So it's not like a big, big loss, but it is a guy who they just signed as a free agent who they expected to come in and, and be, make an impact for them. And he was obviously a former Green Bay Packer and he has experience playing within the division and he has playoff experience. So, you know, it is going to be a little bit of a, um, that the Lions are going to miss him. 
but um, luckily there hasn't been like any big name player on the Lions uh, opt out yet. So, yeah. All right, and Matt, how much of a loss are Andre Smith, who's an offensive tackle, and DeAnthony Thomas for the Ravens? I mean, of course, any player you lose is like a loss to team collectively, but like they aren't the biggest losses a team can have. I mean, DeAnthony Thomas isn't one of our number one receivers, and to be fair, Lamar Jackson, like he doesn't really need that many wide receivers to play the way he does. But I honestly think, like, yeah, they're not that big losses. And I think that's why, like, Raven, if the season does continue, the Ravens are still a kind of, like, most teams I think they can kind of keep going forward. And I honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why, not just for Ravens, but the NFL is planning to continue as a whole because none of their marketable players have really opted out. I think probably the biggest name to opt out was probably um, Patriots' uh, Dante Hightower. Yeah. It's probably the biggest name to drop out. And I think until bigger names drop out, the NFL plan, sorry, the NFL plans continue, and then like teams like Ravens they'll keep on playing the way they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there have been a couple big opt outs. You know, we mentioned Laurent Duvernay Tardif last week, uh, who is the Chiefs' uh, office offensive guard. Um, I believe the Jets lost someone pretty big. Um, just trying to find them now. Yeah, C.J. Mosley. Uh, I actually recognize his name, so it means he has to be decent. Um, Former Raven. <laughs> yeah, Former uh, Raven. Yeah, Devin Funches. I recognize that name, so Funches, he has to be yeah. okay. Marquise Goodwin on the Eagles. Alan Hearns on the Dolphins. Um, Damien Williams on the Chiefs, which is a really big one. He was, I believe, wasn't he the MVP last year, Super Bowl? Super Bowl MVP? No, that was Mahomes. Oh, was it Mahomes? Yeah. Yeah. That's an obvious one, but he, but Williams did have a great game. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the issue though is that none of these players, they are very big names, but like they aren't big enough to make the NFL think, okay, if these guys aren't playing, like it's going to affect our like viewership and our ratings and like the amount of money the NFL makes. I think once players like Mahomes or like Lamar, let's say they start opting out, that'll be a kind of like a like, yeah. wake up call for the league. Definitely. Yeah, uh, I find it hard to believe that they'll throw away the money they're making, especially Mahomes after he signed that contract. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't see this going well in the same way I didn't see the MLB going well, which we will probably – let's talk about it now because I think we can do it pretty quickly before the call ends even because we only have like eight minutes left in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't been paying attention to the MLB, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't blame you at all because it's a tire fire. Um, 13 Phillies tested positive for the coronavirus, seven players, six staff members. That's the second outbreak that has happened in the MLB, the first one obviously being the Miami Marlins, who had like over 20 cases. What do you guys think about this whole situation, and when did they pull the plug? Um, to be honest, I'm actually surprised that they haven't done it yet. I thought as soon as the Marlins thing happened – they would they would pull the plug and and then it looked like the Cardinals got a bunch of players that tested positive and now Philadelphia and the Jays had to cancel their series with them over the weekend and you know it's just even even if it's just one team that gets it it's it's like a ripple effect you know it affects more than than just that one team so um I think you know maybe give it I, I know I know Rob Manfred has said like 
he's like warned the MLBPA saying like, yeah, if you guys aren't being um, like more safe with it, then I don't think he actually said like, okay, we're going to cancel the season, but he's just warning them right now. I like, also I definitely it, said, sorry to cut you off, but I definitely said the wrong team. It's the Arizona Cardinals. And I don't know why St. Louis said, or St. Yeah. Louis Cardinals. Uh, why are there so many Cardinal teams? Um, I don't know why I said Phillies. I guess because they canceled their games. It's the Cardinals who had all the cases, uh, yeah. I believe. The Phillies, well, no, the Phillies, I don't know if they had, um, they probably did have, they probably do have some cases, but no, the Phillies were the team that um, played against the Marlins. And I had that big rant on last week because they like let the Marlins play, even though they knew that they had guys that had tested positive, which is just so stupid. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's I forget, the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, uh, I said the wrong team. Um, you forgot. You forgot where you are. So yeah, no, I think I think uh, like Manfred is like I know the MLB wants to get this season, and it just doesn't make sense. Like, it. I don't even think they should postpone it. I think they should just cancel it fully now. Like, it's so early into the season. Like, you don't need to resume play at some point. Just end it while you can. <laughs> I guess yeah. before it gets worse. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I agree with you guys completely on this. Like, I think what the MLB is doing is actually very arrogant, thinking that their plan will somehow not create any uh, cases. Like, I don't understand why they didn't just do what NBA or NHL are doing in terms of, like, creating a bubble and, like, kind of, sh- like, shelling out the outside world from the players. And, that, like, look at the NHL NBA. There have been no positive cases since, and, like, it's worked, like, perfectly. If you let these players travel, let them, like, interact, like, it's bound to happen. They're bound to track COVID-19 and yeah I, like you guys said I'm surprised that they haven't canceled it yet I think they might soon I think honestly I think by the end of this podcast like they might get news that the MLB is canceled so I wouldn't be surprised at all wouldn't surprise me either uh, especially if, they, if with, there's like two more teams that get it I think it's done probably uh and obviously with the news of Eduardo Eduardo Rodriguez having to pull out due to an inflamed heart following his battle with COVID. Um, it's obviously not looking very good for the Red Sox or MLB, if you're asking me. Um, yeah. I said it two weeks ago, I don't think it'll last two weeks. And I'm shocked it has gotten this far. Um, but who knows? As Matt said, by the end of this episode, they may have pulled the plug, especially if there are more cases and – yeah, it's just not looking like it's going. It there's any hope for the MLB at all at this point. Um, do you guys have anything to add before we take a little break again and dive into the NBA? Um, Jays got smacked last night, ten one. Yeah, I think well, you know. Let's like ignore I said, that because like, it's sad. Hey, if the season cancels, that won't matter. That's yeah, true. exactly. <laughs> but no, I was gonna say like it is like a ripple effect because the Jays had the weekend off and. Normally, players don't get two days off during the regular season, so I would say that's probably a big reason as to why they got slapped the way they did yesterday. So that's not good. You know, you don't want to have teams that don't have any coronavirus cases get affected by this, and they are, or at least it seems like it is, because I don't think the Jays are that bad to lose 10-1. So, yeah. Yeah, especially after they lost their best pitcher, Mike Soroka, who's a Canadian, after he 
did his Achilles in. Yeah, that's um, unfortunate as well. Yeah, he's done for the year. Yeah, so MLB is not in a good place right now. Um, we'll see what happens and whether or not they can get things under control, but I'm not exactly hopeful. Apologies for derailing the conversation because I completely put the wrong team in, and I don't know why I did that, but I'll be better for the NBA. So after this little break, let's hit the NBA. All right, now let's get into the NBA because they've finally returned to games after their hiatus uh, following Rudy Gobert's positive test and then Donovan Mitchell po- testing positive and a bunch of other players getting the virus. Um, but let's just sort of dive into the games because we actually get to talk about games, and that is very exciting. Um, I guess we start off with their first one against the Lakers. Uh, wow, that team... Toronto was very good. Uh, I was very impressed with that game. I don't know what you guys sort of thought about that entire game. I said game a lot. No, it's a good, it's a good start for them. I think we mentioned last week. It's it's a tough uh, way to start um, the re- the resumption of the season against the Lakers. But geez, like these guys can play against anyone, honestly. And I think, you know, the Lakers, and then I think they got the Bucks on, on Monday. So that's also going to be a big challenge. But, no, they look very good against the Lakers, and I think they won by quite a bit too. So it wasn't really close. Yeah, I think, like, the Raptors, they've proven that, like, as a team, they're more than – like, when they won last year, they were more than just Kawhi. And I think this year they're really showing that. Like, in the Lakers game, Larry really stepped up. He had an incredible game. And I think – OG Nobi was the probably biggest surprise. And I think this whole season, I think, though not to the same extent, OG has been kind of like filling in that role we've been missing with Kawhi. And like OG had in this past game, he was able to like stop LeBron. And I mean, let's be honest, that's no easy task. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's been very impressive. I'm so, he's someone I'm very high on. I think he can be an insane, like one of the best in the league 3 and D players. Um, and he proved it against the Lakers. He shut down LeBron very, very well. Um, and he has filled some of that gap between Kawhi leaving and what the ha- Toronto Raptors had. But they've really done a very good job of creating an environment and creating a structure where they can rely on each other really well. And as much as we hate it when we're playing Columbus, they're a very good defensive team. And that's very frustrating to teams that play us. Um, do you guys have any sort of thoughts on Lowry and how he's done since – the refresh, I know he's like leading the league in charges already um, or charges drawn. Yeah. Um, and like, do you have any sort of thoughts on Lowry, how Siakam's been playing, anything like that? I think he's kind of just left off where he finished the regular season. Like he's, I think, you know, coming into the year, Kawhi gone, Lowry knows that like, okay, this is his team now. And if the Raptors want to re- have any chance to repeat, he's got to be the leader to step up. So I think, you know, that's what we've seen, um, like, so far. And I think he's he's also just a mentor to these young guys. And that's why guys like Van Fleet and Powell have had very good seasons. And that's why Fred obviously had that big game against Miami as well. I think the young guys kind of feed off the energy that Kyle brings. So I think, you know, that's why he's such an important part to this team. And like Matt said, it wasn't just Kawhi. It's the other guys that are a part of that team, the veterans that are still leading the way, I guess. Yeah, and just like how Lowry stepped up as a leader, I think Siakam has, like, this whole season, Siakam has stepped up as, like, he knows that he's the future of the team. 
Like he is like easily like one of the most talented players on the team right now. And then in the future, the team will be built around him. He is going to be a number one guy. And I think he's proven that this season. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Apologies if you can hear my dog barking in the background. But it's just constantly yipping and it's very annoying. Um, But yeah, I think the Raptors have been very impressive this season. Um, I I think also just Nick Nurse. Like if they didn't have him, like they're a different team. Like this guy is like, and like you hear it from other teams as well. Like they're so versatile and like deceptive with, the the game plans that they play it's like they have a different game plan for every single team or like a different defense that they play for every single team it reminds me a lot of like like even the patriots in when they had um matt patricia as their defensive coordinator like they would plan specifically differently for every single game you know depending on like matchup and stuff i think that's what the raptors are doing a lot of and they're able to like switch up their defenses during the game as well so it, it just provides so much of a challenge for other teams. And if we didn't have Nick Nurse, like, we're a different team. And he uh, is, we're just lucky to have him. He is an incredibly good coach. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't win Coach of the Year from the other coaches is just a complete joke. Um, I don't know how he didn't win that award. Uh, I'm sure he'll win it when the media pick their winner on the actual was that, final. Was that last year, though? Was that no, this year? was this year. Oh, really? That's already come out? So the way that they do it, they do a coach's version where the coaches pick their coach of the year. Yeah. And this year they had two guys tie. Uh, okay. I think it was Budenholzer and I want to say the OKC coach, who I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, because yeah. obviously OKC were expected to be terrible and they were at True. least okay. Yeah. Um, so I think it was those two. And I think Nick Nurse finished third and it was one vote off of being a three, uh, three-way tie. Hmm. So I think he should have won that award because he's had an insane season. Um, obviously, Siakam, as you mentioned, Matt, has stepped up incredibly well. Uh, he's really filled that void too. I want to get your thoughts on the Miami Heat game because that was a very impressive win for me. Um, obviously, Miami are a good team and they were fully healthy, which is notable. Um, so what did you sort of think of that entire game? and? After you sort of get dive into that, what do you think of Skinny Mark? I'll go to I'll go Matt. I didn't watch the game, so I, I can't really speak on the Miami okay. one. All I know is that Fred had an insane game. I don't know if Matt watched it. I watched the game, but um, also like the main thing I was focusing on for me though was like also Van Vliet and like yeah, seeing like he had like a career high game and. <clears throat> I also think the only concern, like, of that game was we had the lead. Miami almost caught up. And, then, like, our defense, again, pulled through, like, usual. But, like, I think kind of making sure that we don't risk, like, allowing them to catch up like that was probably the, be the biggest concern going forward. Do you think that's a valuable experience, having to play in that sort of situation, having a team come back against you, I guess? Oh, definitely. Especially now, like – during this stretch of time where you're not in playoffs yet, you know, you want to get as much experience as you can in a short amount of time. So I think that's very valuable. And the Raptors, like they were able to to secure the dub, like even though they did give up a lead, that's good that, that they were able to sustain it. And knowing that 
Because I guess, you know, in the playoffs, especially like you're going to be faced with those situations where there will be a momentum swing and teams will come back against you. And are you able to hold it off? That's going to be the question. So good for the Raptors for for doing that in, in this game. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, and then final little basketball thing we'll talk about is tonight's game. Uh, they're playing the Orlando Magic. Hopefully this podcast comes out before the game, but if it doesn't, you can see how wrong or right our predictions were. Um, obviously, Orlando are going to be without Jonathan Isaac after he, I believe, tore his meniscus. Or was it ACL? I think it was meniscus. I'm not sure. One of the two. He, he had a knee injury, um, which has ruled him out for the rest of the tournament. And that's a big blow to Orlando because he's been a key part of that team. Uh, but what do you think the Raptors are going to do tonight? Do you think that it's going to be an easy win? Uh, they were kind of challenged us in the first game of the playoffs last year. But after that, we sort of massacred them. Mm-hmm. So do you think that Orlando will get that step up again? And how do you think that Marc Gasol, Skinny, and Serge Ibaka are going to match up against uh, Nikola Vucevic? Um, I, I mean, I would expect the Raptors to win this one. Like, they come up, they come off two big wins against the Lakers and Heat. And obviously, you know, Orlando is a, a worse team than, than both of them. Do I think that there could be a scare? Honestly, no. I, I think the Raptors are, are just they're kind of unbeatable right now, to be honest. And I don't really see them losing these, these weaker games unless like the only way I see them losing is if they rest some guys. Like if, uh, if Larry doesn't play big minutes, Siakam doesn't play big minutes, they rest them a little bit and Orlando like sneaks away with the win. And like at this point as well, like chances are you're not going to catch Milwaukee for the number one spot. So maybe there, maybe Nick nurse is thinking about, you know, resting guys. But um, as for uh, for Gasol, I think he's looked really good so far. And and same with Ibaka. And um, it's definitely a a different look seeing him uh, trimmed down, I guess, skin, skinny. Um, But no, hopefully, hopefully it allows him to play, uh, play better and um, not get tired, I guess. He's more conditioned, obviously. And yeah, I think I think they'll match up well tonight. I think they should take the win. Uh, I, uh, you mentioned that you don't think they could catch the Bucks. I wouldn't rule that out. The Bucks are owned two so far. They lost to the Rockets, and then they lost to the Brooklyn Nets. Which... Yeah, and yeah, you're right. And Oof. also, the Raptors do play the Bucks on Monday. So, like, if they win that game, you never know. You never know. Honestly, in playoffs, if Raptors and Bucks face off, like, I wouldn't count out the Raptors. Obviously, Bucks no. are our favorite because they have Giannis, but like. The way Raptors are playing, you can't ever like bet against them. No, never. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it's pretty unlikely considering we're five games back. Uh, so the Bucks would have to lose every single game. We'd have to win every single game that we have left. Or I guess they could lose. They could win one, and we could. We'd have to still win all of our games. Um, but who knows? Uh, I do think the Bucks do be... the Bucks have to play the Lakers at some point? Uh, I'd assume so. Let me look. Yeah, because I mean, they could uh, they, lose that one. They don't. Oh my God! They're, well, they they got such an easy schedule. Oh, there you go. Then they got the net. They got the Heat tomorrow. They got the Mavericks on Saturday. Hmm. Raptors on Monday. 
Wizards on Tuesday. Wait, and then- when did they play the Mavericks? Uh, Saturday. Saturday, okay. I was going to say if it's a back-to-back, then it works even better for the Raptors on Monday. Fortunately, it's not. But they have the Wizards and Grizzlies to finish off the season. Right. So I don't think we're going to catch them. Yeah. But we could get mighty close. And yeah. potentially going in with a ton of momentum, that could be huge for the Raptors. Uh, is there anything else we want to hit NBA-wise? I'm good. All right, so before we move on to the NHL, give me your score predictions for tonight. And we'll see how right or wrong you are. Um, 95-90 Raptors. That is close and very low scoring. Yeah. I have uh, as like 110-95 Raptors. Wow. It's like okay. almost exactly what I was going to say. So I guess I have to change mine up a little bit. Um, I'll go 120 95. <laughs> okay. I think it's going to be a Raptors massacre. All and right. now that we've said that, the Orlando Magic are going to beat us in just the tiniest little margin, like a point. Um, because we jinxed it, and you're welcome, Raptors fans. All right. Let's move on to the NHL um, because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess we will start with. Let's start with the situation around Tyler Sagan, Robin Leonard, uh, Dickinson, I believe his name, first name's John. Jason. Dickinson. Jason Dickinson. I knew it was a J. Uh, and Ryan Reeves. They're the first players, apart from Matt Dumba, who kneeled before the Edmonton-Chicago first game, after he did that amazing speech, uh, the first people to kneel for the anthem. Notable because, obviously, they're the only ones who have knelt for the anthem and some teams have already played three games what do you guys think of nhl players not kneeling for the anthem or joining in on a protest i know matt dumba raised a fist i believe yesterday again and i think it was Jonas brodeen uh put his hand on him the entire time on his shoulder so there's a little bit of support there what do you sort of think of this entire situation in the nhl right now um yeah, I mean, obviously, I think that the guy should be kneeling. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's going through the players' minds. I can't really speak for them. But I, I know I know all the players have good intentions. Like, I know they, they want to support the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff. But, you know, I think I think they should be kneeling, you know? I don't see a reason why they shouldn't, especially if your peers are doing it and guys like Sagan and and Dickinson have stepped up like guys that aren't even on the, uh, the Vegas golden Knights stepped up and, and supported Ryan Reeves. And um, even, um, even Nick nurse and, and Malcolm Subban, when, when Dumba took a knee, I was surprised that they didn't take a knee with him. Like you're right beside him. Like why just put your hand on his shoulder? Why not just kneel? So I don't know. I don't think the NHL is taking it too seriously as well. Like I know they've, put hashtag we skate for black lives but like even when i don't know if you guys saw the leafs opening game i think they did like a whole ceremony they showed like a a video about black lives matter and stuff and then they 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 have a bunch of hashtags right it's like hashtag we skate for something we skate for we skate for the fans we skate for the stanley cup and then when they showed hashtag we skate for black lives on the screen 
they didn't say hashtag we skate for black lives. They said like hashtag we skate for something better or something. They didn't, they didn't ever say black lives, which is kind of stupid. Yeah. And they should, they should be doing a better job with it. And um, it is disappointing to see players not taking a knee, but it is good to see a guy like Matt Dumba really stepping up. And that speech was amazing. Like Connor said, so. I just want them to be doing more, and yeah. And I'm sure, like, all these players, even the ones who aren't kneeling, I'm sure they support the movement of Black Lives Matter. I think the issue is that with the culture of the NHL, like, the NHL has never been the most, like, the best at promoting, like, or, like, talking about social issues and, like, trying to, like, fix those social issues. Yeah. Also, the NHL is not the most, like, diverse league yeah. of all sports. So I think, like... Just the culture that's built around the idea of hockey in the NHL has kind of like stopped players from doing that, which is wrong. They should, but the fact that players like Sagan, <clears throat> Reese, Lunder, and Dickinson are doing it should be a wake up call to them that it doesn't matter what the, the culture of hockey says. It's like if you're if it's something right, you should kneel and stand for that. Yeah, uh, it's been very disappointing the lack of action that I've seen in the NHL, uh, even if it's you know, putting your arm on or you're putting your hand on the teammate in front of your shoulder uh, or raising a fist or even taking a knee. Like, it is ultimately your decision, but I would have liked there to be more public acknowledgement of it. Um, One thing I did want to bring up is Robin Leonard. I don't know if you guys remember this, but back in 2016, he was a pretty major Trump supporter. he had like Trump stuff on things like that in the back of his helmet uh, and stickers. And he was pretty vocal about it. Um, and now he's taken a knee and it's shown a lot of personal growth. And I think we should bring that up because you can grow and you can change as a person. Um, even if you didn't believe this two years ago, four years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, you can still change. And I think Robin Leonard has proved that, you know, he showed personal growth in taking that knee. And he acknowledged that he's grown as a person after the game. And that was probably a mistake, what he did when uh, he was supporting uh, Trump. I don't want to get too political on here, um, but I think it's good to see that there are certain players taking action and there needs to be more of it. Um, I tweeted it out as well, talking about just the fact that it's great that these four players did this, but there needs to be more. And whether that be other players taking a knee or raising a fist or doing something, it can't just be five people. It can't just be Dumba, Reeves, Vlenner, Sagan, and Dickinson. It can't just be those guys. There's got to be more. And especially when you're considering that there are hundreds of people in these bubbles, it's frankly embarrassing that it took so long for players to take a knee. And saying that, I want to commend, say again, Dickinson, Leonard, and Reeves for actually taking that action, for actually doing something. Because that definitely wouldn't have been easy, especially in a sport like hockey, which, as Matt brought up earlier, isn't the most diverse in the world. It doesn't have the most diverse fan base in the world, um, which is something that 
the NHL also needs to address and hockey in general needs to address. Um, but I think it's positive that we're starting to see a little bit, you know, it started with the Dumba speech and it's sort of, and then his kneeling, which again, utmost respect to him. I appreciate the fact that um, Malcolm Subban and uh, Darnell Nurse went up and put their hands on his shoulder while he was doing that. But I think that there should be more action in terms of showing your support um, for the movement. Now let's move on to something a little less sad and a little bit less depressing, um, a little bit something happier. And that is Steve Simmons. Um, I never thought I'd bring up his name in terms of something being happy, but Austin Matthews just completely dunked on him. Um, if you missed that, he basically was asked a question after the first Columbus game, I believe. And, he Austin Matthews responded saying it's unfortunate that he's being asked a question by him and he didn't appreciate his story about Matthews having coronavirus uh, and thought found it unethical. So there's that, that then and turned he, into James. And he answered his question too. And then he, <laughs> yeah, then he answered his question. What a guy. Such a, that, that's amazing. Uh-huh. I can't believe so, he answered it. I, I was expecting him to just like, not like, just be like, "Hey, next, next question. I'm not answering your question." Or maybe just give like a, a really like bland answer. Like I think the question was um, uh, something about Columbus defense. I think, or something like that. Like mm-hmm. their game plan, or or was there anything about Columbus that surprised? Some something. I thought he was just gonna say like, like yeah, or something like that. <laughs> but he answered it in pretty good detail. So. Shout out to Matthews. Yeah, he's great. And then Simmons did Simmons after Myrtle tweeted out the reaction that Matthews had. Uh, and Myrtle responded to the tweet, or re- retweeted his tweet with a response saying, because Simmons accused him of not going to training camp because he did a radio hit where he said Matthews was the best player at training camp. And then Myrtle tweeted a picture of him at training camp. and. Basically, it just blew up Leafs Twitter on Sunday night. So that was a good escape after that dreadful, dreadful game. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that game because if you survived it, uh, applause because that was one of the most boring things I've ever watched. Check check out my game one reaction on Unlimited. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just check it out. All right. Well, if you want to see his reaction, go to the Unlimited podcast, which I'm sure he'll link down below. Um, I'd assume. You do link that, correct? No, I don't. Just check at Unlimited no. Pod on Instagram. Okay. Well, you... All right. Yeah. Or maybe um, I will link it now down below. I was going to sure. say, you should. we should start linking our stuff. Uh, yeah, sure. Like, whatever. It's just... Uh, we. I just fully pull us off the train rails so often. This is not very good <laughs> at all. Um, let's hit... Philly, Boston, very quickly. We'll talk about the second Leafs game after the break, uh, and as well as the Kachuk situation. Uh, we'll probably get the Furland thing in really quickly, and maybe New York. Who knows? Um, we're just flying by the seat of our pants at this point, or at least I am. Let's talk Furland. Um, speared the 
bench of the Minnesota Wild because they grabbed his stick and he was then fined $5,000. So that was something. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that situation. I mean, in the playoffs, like, this hasn't been the only, like, dirty play or questionable play we've seen in the playoffs. I think, like, what he did was definitely wrong. And I think, like, yeah, I don't know. I just think, like, he she, it definitely should have been fined. Honestly, an argument could have been made for his suspension as well. But with that being said, like, how many players should be suspended that haven't been so far? I mean, we were going to talk about the match Chuck situation later on, so. Yeah. Uh, I think with the Furland situation, it's a little different because they did grab his stick and he was trying to pull it out Mm -hmm. and then got mad and jabbed it into somebody's stomach. But uh, I think the fine was fair. Aiden, you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's fair. You know, I don't think it's like a... I mean, it's a borderline suspension, I would say. Just because, like, he, he obviously didn't have to do it. And, yeah, I know they grabbed a stick and, like... You can't do that, first of all. You can't grab the person's stick. Like, I know it's playoff hockey and you're trying to get in, in the heads of, of guys, but that I don't think there's a penalty for that. But, like, come on. You're not, you're not in, in house league hockey anymore. That's just, no, don't do that. There's no reason why you should be doing that. Yeah, exactly. Place. And also, like, there's no excuse for, for Furland to stab back at him. Um, luckily, no one got hurt as well. I think if someone did, there would definitely be a suspension, and Furland would be would be in a lot more trouble. Um, I think five thousand is about right. Yes, this was after he got in a fight uh, earlier in the game, and had with his concussion issues. That's a little worrisome, but we'll move on from that. It's his decision what he does. Um, Rangers are the first team eliminated after losing to the. Carolina Hurricanes last night. James Reimer played very, very well. Um, James Reimer both... and Jake Gardner finally win a playoff series. Yeah. Jake Gardner hit somebody in the face. Uh, so that was fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Carolina just won that series. Uh, I know Hen- Igor Shesterkin played last night, which yeah. I think is notable. So what were you going to say? Sorry. Henrik Lundqvist, it might be his, that might have been his last chance, really. I don't know if the, the era is over now. Might Maybe. Because I think Shusterkin will start next year. Honestly, as a Rangers fan, though, like, I would honestly think this was probably the best situation because realistically, I wouldn't have picked Rangers to go far in the playoffs even if they beat Hurricanes. True, yeah. They now get a chance to laugh for any. And, like, imagine a team with Lafreni, Kako, and Panera and Zabanja. That's, like, a pretty – that's a very solid team. Or not a solid team. That's a great team. They have their own offense. So, like, I – honestly, as a, if I were a Rangers fan – I wouldn't be upset that we lost to Carolina. I would also no. see that more as an opportunity for anything. And, like, that was expected, too. Yeah. Like, they weren't supposed to win that series. Yeah, and as you just mentioned, Matthew, they have a 12.5% chance of getting Lafreniere after last season picking up Kaka. So, looks – they have a prom- very promising future. Uh, quickly, let's do the – Philly-Boston game, because obviously Matt is a Philadelphia Flyers fan, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that game. What do you sort of think of it? I was very impressed with Philly's performance. Like, Boston was the number one seed. I think most people would always have picked Boston. And funny enough, like, going before the shutdown delay, the last game Philly played was against Boston, and Boston won that game, and that broke Philly's nine-game win streak. 
And coming back, I was actually worried about the Flyers because we were on a hot streak before. It was a good chance that it would end coming back from the break. But I think Elaine Vigneault, this whole season, Elaine Vigneault shows he knows how to utilize Flyers' depth. We saw him, like, the players who scored was Nate Thompson and Mike Raffle. And, I mean, when we had Dave Haxtell as a coach last year, and, like, Dave Haxtell, we've seen him. He's a coach for at least now, and, like, he has not been doing a great job, especially on County <laughs> Kill, who's, like, one of the worst Kill's been okay. Well, the penalty kill's been okay. Past few games have been good, but throughout the season, it was, wasn't great. And yeah. Flyers' penalty kill was, like, at the bomb last season. So I think, like, Vigneault has really made that difference. Our defense looks deep. With the addition of Niskanen in the offseason has proven that. And I think I was impressed because we shut down players like Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak, which, again, isn't easy. It's, like, called the perfection line, and yeah. they haven't gotten a goal on us. And yeah, I was really happy with that. And I think who impressed me most was Carter Hart, young goalie. I think the concern was, would he be ready for playoffs because he's so young? And he looked like he, a veteran out there. Yeah, he was impressive. Go ahead, and No, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Uh, what did you guys think of Boston? Because they have not done very well since the restart. I, I mean, they only tr- played against yeah, Philly go, go in ahead. the one exhibition game. They haven't really done much. And they're playing against Tampa today, I think, at four. I, so, yeah, like, I have no idea. <laughs> there's still a lot to be seen in Boston, but... I mean, it could have just been that Philly played a good game. And also, uh, they had Halak, right, in that? Yeah? Yeah. Against Philly? So, we didn't see Tuka Rask. I know Halak's still a very good goalie, but Rask is a lot better. He's the number one guy. Yeah. Um, I think it just takes, you know, a while to get back into the swing of things um, for these teams. I think I think Boston is I, – I think Philly just played a really good game, to be honest. You got to give credit where credit is due, so – Shout out to them. Um, I think for these four teams or these eight teams, I guess, that are playing the round robin, they might struggle when it comes to the first round just because they are getting more days off in between games and they're playing less games. So, you know, those teams that are, are fighting for their playoff lives right now might have that advantage when it comes to round one. So I would be a little bit scared in that way. All right. Yeah. Well, Final question before we move on to the Matthew Kachuk situation, which will happen after a little break. Do you consider the Boston Bruins and the Philadelphia Flyers to still be Stanley Cup favorites? I didn't think the Flyers would be Stanley Cup favorites. Um, okay, well, would you consider them now then, I guess? I should have reworded that a little bit better. God, I don't want to say that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a big Flyers supporter. Um, I think they're dangerous though. I think they, I wouldn't say they're favorites, but they're, they're contenders. I would still say Boston is the favorite to win and like a team in the West St. Louis, they could repeat even a team like Tampa. Don't underestimate them, but yeah, Philly's Philly's right up there. I'm never going to say, I think Philly's going to win the cup cause I'm, I just don't want to jinx it. And I would say Boston's always you're never gonna bet against Boston as like for as a knee out. So I would say Boston is still a favorite. I hope Philly's went goes far. I'm really hoping on that. But again, I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. All right. Well we'll get your little Stanley Cup predictions after the break. All right. Now let's dive into 
Leafs. Uh, I guess we can are let's start with Furland, then we'll do Leafs. Uh, not Furland, wrong suspension. Maybe Kachuk. Let's dive into Kachuk and that whole situation. Uh, if you didn't see it and are living under a rock or are not paying attention to the NHL at all, basically Matthew Kachuk hit Mark Shifley, and when he hit him, okay, it was a Shif- <laughs> it was Shifley, yeah. No, no, you're right, but like oh, you're not like sure he did he, he did hit him, but like. I get, okay. He All did right. hit him. He did hit him, yes. We'll get your opinions in a second. Uh, hit Mark Shifley because I guess it technically counted as a hit. Yeah. And on the follow-through, his skate sort of bounced up off the ice and then hit the back of Shifley's leg really low by the Achilles. And Shifley went down in a lot of pain and needed help off the ice. Uh, and he didn't play in their latest game where the Jets did end up winning, beating the Flames after the Flames won game one. So the series is now tied. No, no it's 2-1 now. They played last night as well. 2-1 Calgary. They played last night as well? Oh. Yeah. Calgary like won 6-2, I think, yesterday. So it's 2-1 I didn't Calgary even know that series. happened. Well then, I need to pay more attention. Um, Sports are so, back, Connor. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> insane now. It's just yeah. nonstop. Sports yeah. from literally like noon to one in the morning. Yeah. It's insane. And I got to watch two games at once tonight, which is going to be fun. Um, but let's move on from that because, again, I sidetracked us. I really need to get better at that. Um, <laughs> let's talk that situation. Did you think that it was intentional? No. No, I don't think it was like – it's like the I think the only reason why people are saying that is just because it's Kachuk. Like if it was I don't know, Zach Aston Reese on the Penguins did that. Like nobody's talking about he did that on purpose. Nobody's talking about this guy should be suspended or anything. Like and I think um like Ryan Whitney said it best on Spit and Chicklets. Like he said, like you you guys don't know how fast these plays are and how things happen so quickly like it's literally impossible to even do that he was saying like if things happen so fast like how can you even do that so no I, I don't think he he meant to do that on purpose I know Kachuk is is a, a physical player I wouldn't say he's like too dirty I know he's feisty and he he wants to get in fights and and be physical. he's a rat he's a rat but he's not dirty he's not like Matt Cook I don't no. think he's he's that vicious, and I don't think he was he would ever try and do that to a guy like Mark Shifley. So, no, I don't think it was intentional at all. He's a Brad Marchand uh, instead yeah. of a Rafi Torres or Mike yeah, Cook. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So well, Matt, sorry to cut you off. But what do you think? <laughs> I'd say like yeah, the the argument for him for being an accident is definitely valid and definitely fair. The only thing I would argue is that you said people are only saying that it was intentional because it's a Chuck. But I'll also say that that argument is warranted, though, because it's a Chuck. Because, again, like you said, he's not necessarily a dirty player, but he is a player that's capable of – I wouldn't say he in, tried to injure Chef to that extent, but he kind of went after him to, like, to try to knock him down, to kind of like knowing that it would be a kind of a hard hit on him. And like I wouldn't say he tried to – like, tear his, like, back of his leg with his skate intentionally. Like, I wouldn't say, 
Well, like you said, like it's you can't really do that intentionally. It's not an easy thing to do intentionally. But I do think that Chuck had some intent to cause harm to Shifley because it's playoff hockey. And again, because Chuck's history, we know he's a player capable of wanting to do something like that. I gotta watch this thing again. <laughs> right. So while he watches it, um, I'm. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think Chuck meant to do it at all. I know Paul Maurice has obviously pushed the it was intentional uh, argument pretty hard um, in the media, uh, which has taken a lot of the pressure off of his players to sort of react to it. Uh, Blake Wheeler did fight Kachuk um, in that game, uh, which he lost, which that's kind of unfortunate because I think that's one that he probably really wants to win. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was intentional. I think it was just a complete fluke. Just happened to be Kachuk. Um, I understand why Maurice is accusing it of being on purpose because it's sort of a good way to rally his troops and get the guys going a little bit, um, especially with them now on the brink of elimination. But Aiden, has your opinion changed at all after watching the replays? I mean, like, okay, so obviously, like, his left foot is planted on the ice, and it doesn't move, and he's trying to stop. Like, they're going to the boards. He's trying to slow down. I don't, I don't see why he even had to lift up his right skate at all to do that. Like, if you, if you guys watch it, like, he's going into the boards. He's off balance. One foot's in the air. The right foot is in the air. His left foot is planted. And it's up, and then he puts it back down, the right foot. And then at the last second, he lifts it back up for some reason as he's trying to stop. I don't think he so, lifted it. I think it bounced off the ice. Yeah. It's sort of what I got I mean, from that's like tough to players' say. reactions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, I, I still don't think he did it on purpose. And so you don't think he should get suspended? He should have been suspended for it. No, and like also, like if you look at Kachuk's like head, it's not looking down. It's looking up. So it's not like he, like I guess he could he could assume that his leg is there, but it, it's just so hard. I I just see so many like negatives as to, to like why it, um, like why people think it's a a, a dirty hit. Like I just don't see it. I don't think Chuck should be suspended. To be honest, like I don't think he is. I don't think he is going to be suspended. Yeah, and I don't think he yeah exactly. I don't think he. And plus, he shouldn't be. But at the same time, like Chuck knows the type of player he is. I think he knew that what he was going to do could cause an injury. And, like, again, he, I don't think he intentionally meant for Sheffield to get injured. And he was, like, apologetic afterwards. He wasn't, like, trying to, like, make excuses about it. And But, again, again him knowing the player he is, I think he definitely knew that what he was about to do could cause something like that. And, like, shout-out to him for, for fighting Blake Wheeler after, like, out of respect, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He follows the code. Uh, I think is a good way of putting it. You know, he's not someone who's intentionally trying to injure somebody. And I'm sure he felt bad after Shifley had to go off. Um, But again, he is the kind of guy who pushes the limit a little bit. That's going to happen when you push the limit. Um, Is there anything you guys want to add to this Kachuk situation before we talk about the Leafs game two and then predictions for tomorrow night and Friday night? No, I'm good. Let's go Leafs. All right, let's hit Leafs. Leafs played last night against the Columbus Blue Jackets, where they won 
two, not two, three to uh, nothing after an empty net goal. Um, it really was two nothing, but Riley sniped one from his own end uh, to make it three. But what did you guys think of that game? Uh, we'll hit the Muzzin situation later, uh, so we won't dive into that. But what did you think about the Leafs game overall? Yeah, they played so well, I think. They played a complete game. Uh, they were dominating uh, shots, possession, everything. I think, you know, for the first period and and, um, and most of the second period, Corpus Allo was standing on his head. It didn't look like the Leafs were going to get anything by him, and it was extremely frustrating. You'd think at that point that maybe Freddie's going to let in a weak one and it's going to be the same thing as game one. But luckily, you know, Zach Wierenski took a little bit of a bad trip around his uh, the Leafs net and couldn't catch up to Matthews um, on the back check. And Matthews was able to tip home that puck to give them the one nothing lead. And then, geez, John Tavares probably played his best playoff game as a Toronto Maple Leaf to this day. And he scored the second goal and everything was, everything was working. Marner looked better, a lot better than game one. He was actually shooting the puck today. Um, Riley was good. Um, I didn't even mind how Tyson Berry played. He looked better than game one. Um, uh, other standouts, I, th- I think the third line is, is still been very strong for the Leafs with Robertson, Kerfoot, Kapanen, um, and then Fred- Frederick Anderson. He's, he's been good. I know he only faced 20 shots, but there were a couple high or good scoring opportunities that he was able to shut down, and he really kept the Leafs in the game. So, um, yeah, seriously, it was a complete game, in my opinion, for the Leafs, except for the power play, 0 for 5 on the power play. But hey, there's always got to be a negative, and then there was also a bigger, bigger negative uh, near the end of the game as well. Yeah, and we'll dive into that in a second. Matt, what were your thoughts on the game? I mean, it's what to put it was, I think the first game against Columbus was like a real wake-up call for Leafs. And I think in the game two, they actually woke up. I think they took a lot more chances. They had a lot more shots on net. Uh, like you said, Marner, he, he was invisible in game one. And in game two, even though he still didn't score, he was at least, you could see him putting the effort. And it seemed like he was actually trying out there. Of course, Matthews was probably the only highlight of game one. He was the only one who really had a shot in a uh, scoring chance, and then in game two, he actually scored. So, defense was phenomenal. Like, it was way better. We limited Columbus shots. Like, I think we more than doubled Columbus by Jackson shots. I Maybe. Believe. I think they finished mm-hmm. with 20. Leaves are like high 30s, low 40s, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the exact shots were. I mean, like you said, Leafs played as well as they can. And, like, especially coming off game one, it was the the best type of game you could really hope for as a Leafs fan. And in terms of Blue Jackets, they probably played like the Leafs did in game one, and it worked out perfectly. Yeah, the Leafs had um, – oh, man, I can't math. I think they had 39, 39 shots. Yeah, and I know Matthews had an insane game. Um, I was trying to find the expected goals for percentage for him, uh, but I couldn't find it. But it was like – almost the equivalent, if not more, than the entire Columbus Blue Jackets team. No, that was Tavares. That was Tavares. Yeah, Tavares. Tavares. Did I not say Tavares? You said Matthews. Oh, I think. whoops. I meant Tavares. Yeah. Uh, I also definitely cut out for a second because my internet connection is unstable. So, yay. Um, but, yeah, I think the Leafs played a very, very good game last night. I was incredibly impressed in how they performed. Uh, I do want to get your thoughts before we talk about Muzzin. 
should this Clifford hit be looked at by player safety? Uh, if you're not familiar with it, to start off the game, Clifford just absolutely decimated one of the Blue Jackets players. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, Kukin. Kukin. Yeah, there you go. So Kukin um, and just absolutely steamrolled him. Do you think that player safety should be look at it? And do you think it should have been a penalty? I'm going to look it up again. Got to analyze it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk through what I think. Unless, Matt, you have something to add. Yeah. I mean, personally, I didn't think it needed to really be a penalty. I mean, it was, it was definitely questionable. and Definitely, like, it was could be debated as a penalty or not. But, again, like, I don't think it was the worst play we are, think we've seen. Like, it definitely, like, it could pass off as not a penalty, as it wasn't. So, I also don't think it was anything too much to, that needs to be looked at more, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, some people were debating whether or not it should be charging. Uh, as Aiden is watching it, uh, so we can look out for that. But I didn't think it was worthy of a penalty or of a suspension, but I did see some of that online. Yeah, I think charging might have been the way to go. <laughs> Jeez, what a hit, what a hit. Uh, that's like Nazem Kadri's hit on, I don't know who it was, but the Washington player in game three of that series like four years ago really woke up the leaf. So, <laughs> no, seriously, big hit for Clifford. He had to make an impact. Uh, I don't think it's a suspension worthy. I know he left his feet, but I think like the hit like already happened. And then he kind of like jumped up um, like at point of contact, he was still on the ice. So yeah, I kind of agree with the charging. It could have been charging and, but like, I think Kukin was still um, like, he was still, yeah. Like he just got the pass off. So Honestly, I think it should be a clean hit. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it was a little borderline, I think, in terms of whether or not it should be charging. It was definitely a good way for the Leafs to start the game, you know, make yeah. the uh, Blue Jackets a little more nervous to go into the corners after game one, where mm. they could just sort of go in there without any sort of risk. And Clifford showed that there is, in fact, a risk uh, when you do go into the corners, and he just absolutely steamrolled Kukin. Um yeah, I guess that's sort of it. Now let's move on to the more unfortunate situation. Um, late in the game, I believe it was like a minute left in the – around a minute left in the game, uh, maybe two minutes, just under two minutes with like a minute left in the power – and the Blue Jackets power play. Muzzin comes around the back of the net, and Pierre-Luc Dubois he cross-checks him in the back. Um, and Muzzin sort of loses his balance and – He's like sort of stumbling and then falls and he hits his head into the back of a Blue Jackets player um, and then stayed down. So after that, obviously the trainer comes on the ice. He wasn't able to get up. Um, Drager, Darren Drager of TSN reported today that he lost feeling in his extremities, uh, which is obviously very, very scary. Um, I saw a couple of people thinking about a certain injury. Um, let me look it up very quickly. I think I Googled it. Oh, I didn't. I deleted the tab. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something where it could be as quick as a two-week recovery to as long as potentially never recovery. Um, wow. It is. He was taken to hospital and released overnight and he's now back in the bubble, um, which is good. But what did you guys sort of think about 
that hit and the entire aftermath to it. Yeah, it was it was a weird one. Um, I um, I think the cross check that Dubois did on him, I think that should have been called, and you know Muzzin went down right away. I think, like I think it was that that got him. I don't think it was hitting his head on whoever that player's um, leg. I think or or back. Just um, the back of the leg. Or back of back back of the leg. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I think the Dubois hit should have been two minutes for cross-checking. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a weird one. It looked like Muzzin, like, lost balance after that hit. And um, I think they were saying on the broadcast, it's kind of like a shock effect, and it, it kind of, like, starts in your upper back and, like, trickles down to your hands and feet. So I think, like, it was throughout his whole body he felt something. And then obviously he tried to get up at first and, and then realized he couldn't sat back down. So, I mean, it's sad. I don't, I don't remember the last time a Leafs player had to get stretched off the ice. So it's definitely like a a newer feeling for, for us, I guess we haven't really witnessed that in a while. And especially with the conditions going on right now, it's even more scarier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd have to agree. Matt, do you have any sort of thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I agree. I think the the cross check definitely should have been a penalty, and yeah, it's it's hard. It's gonna be hard for Leaf fans because the defense has never been a strong suit of the Leafs, and Muzzin was probably one of the most stable defenders of the Leafs. And it's going to be really questionable how like they'll be able to make it through these next few games without him. And yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see, but it's also sad because. We're losing a crucial piece in for Leafs defense. Yeah, it was unfortunate to see. Uh, he will be out for the rest of the series. Uh, Leafs PR tweeted that out uh, this morning. Um, but he'll hopefully be back for the next series if they move on. I I don't think the cross check was the initial cause of it. It might have been. I don't know. I don't have a medical degree. Uh, I also didn't examine him overnight and. I have no idea what the issue might be. Uh, I think maybe a combination of the cross check and hitting his head um, or sort of like jamming or was very weird uh, the way he fell. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I definitely think he lost balance like from the the cross check because that's what made him fall. And then maybe, maybe hitting his head just made it even worse. So yeah, Yeah. like Connor said, we we don't know. We, We didn't speak to Jake Muzzin. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I understand your thinking that the cross check should have been a penalty, but unfortunately, it is the playoffs, and they just don't cross, call any sort of penalties, especially with less than two minutes to go in a game. Uh, even if it should be called, and I agree with you, it probably should have been called. They aren't going to call it, um, and this ultimately resulted in a very unfortunate situation, which could have been very, very bad. Um, but who knows? Before we get your Stanley Cup predictions, let's talk about tomorrow night's game and Friday night's game. Uh, sorry, Matt, we're not going to talk much about the Flyers because they're doing the play-in round thing. Yeah. They're not even really... Really, oh, the games fair. don't really matter. Uh, yeah. um, no, that's completely fair. That's completely um, fair. And obviously, Leaf-centric podcast here. So we're going to hit that a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask you two quick questions, and then we'll predict how we think those games are going to go. 
and I want to get your Stanley Cup predictions. So get that ready. Um, but tomorrow night, who draws in from us? Who do you think comes into the lineup? Is it Rasmus Sandin? Is it Timothy Liljegren? Or is it Martin Marincin? To be completely honest with you, I would feel more comfortable with them bringing in Martin Marincin. I think Rasmus Sandin is high risk, high reward. But with Marincin, you kind of know what you're getting. You're getting a guy who's going to be solid in the defensive zone, and that's it. And honestly, I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. I'm comfortable with that. I, I don't want Sandine. Like, I know San, Sandine's the better player. Hands down, the better player. He has the skill. He has the speed. Defensively, I would take Marincin hands down. Also, Marincin can be on the penalty kill. He can replace Muzzin on the bottom pair with Hall. Or not the bottom. Well, maybe, maybe it becomes the bottom pair or the second pair. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, Sandine brings another aspect to the Leafs' defense. Um, maybe the Leafs think that, okay, Columbus isn't getting many scoring opportunities. Maybe we don't even need to bring in a defensive defenseman. Maybe we go more offensive and bring in Sandy. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, to be honest. I'm not sure. Matt? I'll argue that they'll bring in Sandy. I think because Columbus isn't a high-scoring team. I think that maybe they'll kind of go the direction of adding more into the offense and trying to penetrate that Columbus defense. Like you said, Sandine, high risk, high reward. But I think in playoffs, you can often see in playoff history, like young players like Sandine can always break out in the, post- in the postseason. And I'm hoping that will happen. It'll be great to see Sandine break out as a player in the postseason and to see it actually makes a difference. Yeah. Um, what I want them to do is I want them to try Marincin tomorrow night and Sandin Friday night, see which works better. Um, because I know Travis Dermott can play in the penalty kill and he has in the past, but that is also very risky. Um, whether or not they take that risky outcome, maybe if they win tomorrow night, they go a bit more risky on the Friday. I think if they, they win, try it. if they win tomorrow, there won't be any lineup changes. I think they'll stick with what works. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, I could see that. It's going to be very interesting to see what Sheldon Keefe chooses to do. Finally, on the Leafs, who starts in goal? What? Because they have a back-to-back. <laughs> do you go Freddie both <laughs> wait, nights? Wait, what are you saying? No, no do, you go Freddy, do you go Freddie both nights or do you do Freddie and Campbell? No, you go Freddie both nights. No question. Freddie both nights. Yeah. I disagree. What? I think you go Freddie Campbell. I'm actually surprised you even asked that question. Okay, well, but say, say uh, Freddie starts Thursday and then they lose. W- would you start Campbell in a possible elimination game? No. I would start Freddie in that situation. No, you start Freddie back-to-back. This is the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I like Campbell. I think he's good. That's so you, risky. No, Freddie's been insane, bro. He's he's like basically put up two shutouts in a row. And he's had injuries all season, right? And I don't want to risk it's that. The, in this is the playoffs. No, 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 no. You got to go with the guy. You have to. He's all had right. so he much was, time off. Like You can't just give him the back-to-back off true. now. 
Things like right. Toronto, the goalies is one and two. It's not like a really one A one B situation. So I think you kind of got to just yeah. go with your number one guy. It's true. I don't know. I'm not sure about that situation. I think you might start Campbell in the second one I'm, to give I, him a rep. I guarantee the Leafs aren't even debating that. What happens if Freddie gets blown up tomorrow night? You don't start Campbell in the elimination game. Yeah, though. you don't That's start. You don't start Campbell. You know, definitely not. All right. Well, we'll see what will happen. Uh, quickly, before we do our hot takes, and I have a very hot, very hot take um, coming up very when we Yo, do that. Yeah, that was a hot take question. That was, That's true. I was like, what? Who starts in the Leafs goal? What? Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. I think that's an actual debate that needs to be had is, do you start Freddie back-to-back? Do you risk that? Obviously, he's a guy who likes to play, and he's done well in the past couple of games, but there's an increased risk of injury, and you don't want to tire him out. He's going to have to do five potential play in, playoff rounds. So do you give him that one night of rest where he can take a break and you can rely on Campbell, who you know is good, clearly? And it's not putting you at any risk of losing a draft pick uh, in that whole trade because right now the playoff, this play-in round counts as the regular season in terms of those games, if that yeah. makes sense. I think you start Campbell in the second game. Wow. I don't think you risk it. I don't think you risk Freddie getting hurt. But I'm, there's a reason <laughs> I'm not a coach and I'm not in Sheldon Keith's position. So he ultimately knows best and we'll see what he chooses to do. But Yo, let's wrap okay. this podcast up okay. because we have been going for a while with predictions. Who do you think is going to be in the Stanley Cup final and who will win? Who wants to go first? Should I? <laughs> sure. All right. I'll give you guys time to think because I've sort of sprung this question on you last second. My Stanley Cup prediction in the West, I find this pretty easy. I think it'll be the Colorado Avalanche in the West. In the East, it's a bit more challenging. I think Boston's good, but they haven't showed it so far. And with the amount of turmoil that's currently going on in that team, uh, I'm not really sure about them anymore. I'm. This is very tough. Um, I'm going to go. I don't know why I keep thinking Carolina, but I'm going to go Carolina. I think they're they're supposed to have Dougie Hamilton back. Are uh, they? It's suspected that they will help Dougie Hamilton back for their first game. Uh, the next playoff round or the first playoff round. Uh, and I think that defense is scary. Goalies scare me a little bit in terms of Mrazek and Reimer, but who knows? Reimer has proved in the past he's good in the playoffs. And he had a great game last night. And Mrazek was good in the first two games. So we'll see. Who wants to go next after my probably hot take in terms of who I picked? Hmm. Well, for me, um, uh, do you want to go first, Aiden, or? No, you go, you go, you go. I think for me, I think I had I have the same West. I had Colorado. I think that was kind of an easy pick. Like, when you asked me, the first team I thought about for West was Colorado. Mm-hmm. This might be counting what I said earlier. And I'm, a, I'm completely biased on this. Oh, boy. But I think it's going to be the Flyers. I, I, I'm kind of like, I'm, hip, I'm a hypocrite. I'm being hypocritical of what I said earlier today, but I just had that feeling with the way we've been playing this whole season and 
I think Flyers are one of the deepest teams in the league. And I think that'll, that in the playoffs, that can be enough to make a difference. And I really think it's going to be Colorado and Flyers. However, I can't say that Flyers will win the Cup. I do think between the two, it will be Colorado if one of them has come away with it. And so I think Colorado are favorites to win Stanley Cup. All right. I don't think I said who I thought would win, so I'm going to go with Carolina. Why? I don't know. But I'm going to go with Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, I really want to go with another team besides Colorado, but I'll, I'll say Colorado. I, I, the, only, the only team that I could see beating them is, is maybe St. Louis. Um, yeah, but yeah, Colorado. And for the East, I'm going to say Tampa Bay. I think okay. they're a team that's surprisingly maybe flying under the radar a little bit. Like they really should be one of the favorites to win still, but people aren't really talking about them right now. And I think, you know, that sweep last year, they're going to have motivation. And I think, uh, I think, I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win the cup against uh, Colorado. All right. So we got Colorado and Carolina here. Yes. We got exactly. Philly, Colorado. I don't know if I'm pointing in the right direction with Matt. And then I don't know where Aiden is. I'm going to assume it's below me because on my screen it's below. No, I'm like left, right? Yeah, yeah that way. We'll yeah. do wherever. Uh, is going Tampa Bay, Colorado with Tampa Bay taking it. So those are our predictions. Let's quickly do hot takes and then we can get out of here. Should I go first because I actually have one sort of prepared? Yes, yes, yes. All right, my hot take. The Toronto Raptors don't lose another regular season game. They go 8-0. 8-0 heading into the playoffs. Sheesh. I don't know if that's hot or not. Uh, I'd have to look at their schedule, but I think that might be kind of hot. Jeez. I don't really have one right now. Thank you. Um. Okay. Toronto Maple Leafs. All right. The next game. They are going to explode offensively, and they will win six nothing against Columbus. Six nothing. Wow. Okay. Three shutouts in a row for Freddie, basically. <laughs> well, two, but. Two, yeah, I was going to say. What are the we don't want to talk from? about that one goal that he let in. Yeah. Matt, what is your hot take? My hot take will be the Raptors beat the Milwaukee Bucks in the conference finals in less games than last season. Whoa. Wow. Okay. So That's five, a hot take. I just think four? collectively as a team, Raptors – I think as a team, Raptors are even better than they were last year, like minus with Kawhi. I think they've like the way they play together has mm-hmm. improved, and I think with the way they've been playing, I think it's enough to stop Giannis and Bucks, maybe even in less games. All right. Well, those were three. I'd say pretty hot takes. Uh, hot, those are the hottest we've had in a while. So I like that. Um, fi- let's sort of wrap it up, I guess. Uh, Matt, thank you for coming on the podcast. We Good really, time. really appreciate it. Um, if you want to check out any of his stuff. 5-5 five, five Sports uh, will be linked down below. We'll also link his channel where he does short films. Waterboy uh, Productions. Below. Yep. Um, we'll see if he joins Fansided or not, or if he joins some sort of website. <laughs> uh, I think he should, but 
who knows it's it's ultimately his decision um but yeah thank you for coming on good luck uh as we get closer and closer to classes restarting um but yeah thank you for listening we really appreciate it you can check me out on twitter at cwg somerville uh or you can check out my other soccer podcast at the mls multiplex podcast um as well as my written work at mlsmultiplex.com Aiden, you can check out him on Instagram at Aiden.Silophant, correct? Aiden Silophant. Aiden, Aiden Silophant. It's just Aiden Silophant. Yeah. I should know that by now. <laughs> at Aiden Silophant. He doesn't have a Twitter, uh, so you can't check him out there. Check out the Unlimited podcast, uh, which he puts up. he's putting up uh, game reactions immediately after every Leafs game, so you can go and watch those. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, peace.